0: On the road beyond my ears. I've no sorrow, but today I don't walk alone. Yeah, because I'm on the road, on the road. to recover step by step.
1: I'm alive. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might well distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the steps studied tonight. Everybody ready? Enjoy your time with God. player together. God, let your, love shine. let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree, and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Madison to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's pretty important to understand what it is. Come on, Madison. Do I like to introduce
2: Hi, Madison, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah? Okay. All right. Spiritual Experience. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone what often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline with few exceptions our members find that they are that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience our more religious members call it god consciousness most emphatically we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one, no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer.
1: Thank you, Madison. The reason we're goofing around with these mics is because we podcast these speaker series. That's why we're so adamant about getting those right. Uh, Where's my little notes here? One last time, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or just turn off. Our speaker tonight has shown that when you're with God, anything is possible. Tonight, with her fifth uh, step series, is uh, our speaker, Bobby R.
3: This whole place is beautiful it doesn't matter where we are I just love the whole vibe here I need like to duplicate this and bring it over to where I'm from um, Bobby alcoholic it is a different vibe though when you're in the other room and you're like higher on stage and my ego gets bigger and I can't see any of you so I could just kind of you know get loose but um, I'm here and I hope that the mic issue is not an issue I didn't wear an appropriate, top to put on my microphone today, Um, but hopefully you guys get a clearer, I know you guys can, hopefully the recording gets a clearer version of me as well. So welcome back. I was glamping and I had the time of my life. I legit had the time of my life. And I think the reason why it was so beautiful is that I was forced to be in God's green earth the whole time. And Also, the campground that we were on literally had no internet service. So at first, because I run my entire business on social media, at first I was like, "Eh! oh my God, what am I going to do? I got really okay with not having service, which is really, really cool. It was really cool. And my two kids, I might have heard one small thing from my oldest once. So that was also a really big blessing in disguise. Everybody had a good time. We woke up early every morning, had coffee, had my time with God, and then we spent the entire day outside. It just so happens that all six days that we were there, the weather was flawless. The beaches were flawless. My daughter, who's four, I've come to find out she's got a hobby, and now I'm going to have to expand upon it. It's called shelling. Shelling. I didn't know that was a thing. That's a thing. I've lived here my whole life. Isn't that crazy? Like, I've lived in South Florida my entire life, and I've never liked the beach. I fell in love with the beach in Sanibel Island, and I now have a desire to go to our beach over here on the Atlantic side and go shelling with my four-year-old daughter who had a lot of fun, and my husband has a history of shelling. He could tell you shelling stories that go way back, you know. He's like 20. (laughs) So it's like a long time ago. I'm just joking. He's a little older than that. But he has a lot of shelling stories. So what was really beautiful is I got to watch my husband and my four-year-old bond like never before. I mean, they were really bonding, and they didn't even know they were bonding until I had called them out on it. I was like, you know, you two have been bonding so much in the shelling. And he was like, yeah. But I don't think he really grasped it until I mentioned it. And then, of course, I... We had one last night of shelling, and I went to this place called Sally Sells Seashells. Okay? You guys remember that? Sally Sells Seashells seashells. (laughs) seashell. They have a store called that. Say that five times fast. So I went there, and they had really amazing, beautiful shells. So I had to. I bought like 12 shells there. That were flawless. And then the last night that we were there, we walked around and we dropped them all over the beach. And my daughter ran over to them. She's like, Daddy, Daddy, look. Look at the shell I got. I'm the best sheller. (laughs) And we saved all of them. She came home talking about the shell. She went to school on Monday morning telling her teachers about her shelling experience. So it was just phenomenal. We went out to on bike rides, and every single night, we ended the night playing uh, Pictionary, and it was so much fun. I mean, we laughed, and I mean, I was cracking up laughing with Pictionary, we just had, and I got very competitive, I won, by the way, Um, my team, which was all the girls, we won, yeah, so they say. But, anyways, I'm just so happy I got the opportunity to do that. And that is because of sobriety. I would have never gone on a trip in Sanibel with my, island, with my island, with my family as one unit to Sanibel Island in a camper. It just would have never happened. You know, life continues to get better. It kind of reminds me of this saying. Um, Um, it, what's the saying? It gets worse, never better. Alcoholism. Well, it's like the complete opposite here when you're in recovery, it's the complete opposite. It, it just, it just, it just gets better. It gets better and it gets better. And times are tough. Times are really hard. I get irritable, restless, discontent, insecure, super moody, I get mouthy. I get all kinds of feelings. Sometimes I get insomnia for two to three days at a time. Sometimes I go off the you know healthy wagon and then I don't feel very good physically, mentally, and spiritually. There's all kinds of stuff that happens in life. We lose people to the disease of alcoholism. We lose friends because we grow apart. We break up with people we thought we were going to spend the rest of our lives with. Things going to happen in Alcoholics Anonymous, but even still, at the darkest times of my sobriety, they have been the highlight of my life compared to alcoholism, to living in the disease of alcoholism. So um, we're going to talk about actually that today. You know, I heard very early on that while I'm in here getting sober, my disease is out in the parking lot doing push-ups. You know, literally, like I used to hear that long, many years before I even surrendered to this program and I would roll my eyes. How stupid is that? You know, now I know what they're talking about. Alcoholism wants us dead, whether we're drinking or not. Alcoholism is progressive and fatal, whether we're drinking or not. And what that means to me now at this point in stage in my life is that alcoholism comes in many forms. The drink and the drug were but a symptom. I put it down 14 and a half years ago, but the illness remains. I continue to have to work a program diligently, intentionally, in order to overcome the disease of alcoholism. There are people who come into AA, they put down the drink, They never have to progress in their spiritual life and they tend to be rather happy. Then there are people who put down the drink and the drug and if they don't begin to work a program of recovery, they deteriorate rapidly. Or they do well for a period of time, they rest on their laurels, they run out of reserve, they deteriorate rapidly. I mean, that's just the story. That's how it goes. I'm 100% not the one that comes in and doesn't have to work a spiritual program. That has nothing to do with me being better than or worse than anybody, but that's the reality of it. I know people that come into recovery and they don't work a program for years, and they're totally fine. I really think that they are. I don't even think it's a mask. I think it's just who they are. Their alcoholism didn't bring them to the depths that required them to have a spiritual program in order to progress in this thing called life. Everybody's different. You have to be the identifier on where you're at. Are you happy? Are you more irritable, restless, discontent than not? Is your anxiety and depression always grabbing a hold of you? How are your relationships... Have you been able to maintain healthy relationships for long stretches? Who are you in a relationship with right now? How many times have you broken up and gotten back together? How is your career going? Have you been able to hold down a job? There's a lot of things that you can ask yourself whether or not you are progressing in this thing called life. Because don't get me wrong, I do believe that people live in denial every day. Denial is not even know that you are lying to yourself. You cannot see what other people can see because you're so full of your own BS. That's a thing. So gauge yourself. So we come to step six. I don't even know if it's up here, but... We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character is step six. At this point on your journey, you should have a general basic idea of what a defect of character is. At least I hope you have a general idea. But truth be told, you could very much still be in the dark. Because my story happens to be, I thought by the time I was going to sit down with my sponsor on the sixth step and read out of the book, that I was defect-free. I'm not even joking. I went to a meeting at the 101 Club on a Thursday night or something, and they were on step six. The whole time the speaker was talking about step six, I was talking to myself in my head, saying, Oh, you're only this many months into your journey, and you're already defect-free. Wow, you're a lot better off than you thought you were. I really played that tape through the whole meeting. I didn't hear a damn word he said. Because I was thinking about me and how great I was already doing. And I walked out of the meeting and I called my sponsor. And I said, hey, sponsor, I just left a meeting at the 101 Club on Step 6. And I've been thinking, I think, you know, since I've been sober, I've been pretty clean and free of my character defects. And I remember, I always thought my sponsor didn't like me. I remember clearly her sounding annoyed as all hell and saying, okay, uh, I'll see you Thursday. I said, okay. That was our meeting day. And I waited for the next week to meet, and um, she was so kind enough to make me a box. I thought when I walked up and she had a gift for me, oh, she does like me after all. What a sweet lady for her to take out her time and make this little cute box together. It must be a prayer box or a God box of some kind. And I sat down and she pushed it across the table and she said, that's for you. I said, thank you so much. She said, why don't you open it? And I opened it up and it was full of tiny little pieces of paper that were folded up. I said, what are those? She said, open them up, read them. And I started to read These words, it didn't seem very kind. And I said to her, what are these words? And she said, those are your defects of character. And I said, mine? She said, yours. I said, this isn't just a general list of them? She said, no, I was kind enough to pick them out for you. And there was a lot of them. I was like, man, this you know what? I knew she didn't like me. And the truth is that I just didn't know what I didn't know because I wasn't ready to know. They had words in there that I didn't even understand. I know this sounds like super far-fetched, but it's my reality. The word ego. I didn't think I had an ego. I thought that word had something to do with the male gender. I'm not even joking. Like, that's how far removed I was from reality. And when she told me what ego was and how she thought that I might have some of that, (laughs) at first I was oblivious. I didn't know what she was talking about. But now I can look back and say, I just didn't know what I didn't know until I was ready to know. And I have to tell you that it wasn't immediately for me. When I got that list of defects of character, I truly didn't believe that I had any of those, even after she had broken it down to me. I felt slightly offended. I thought that she was jealous of me and did not like me. And as the, the months went on, you know, things started to become a little bit more clear. People started to get in my path that behaved, acted, made decisions like I did or like I and did in the past. And I started to feel bothered by how they were acting or how they did their decision-making or the results that they were getting in their life. And I was very clear that I did those things too. And I was like, wow, is that what I look like? You know, like, um, for example, I would, I I wasn't halfway, you know, like a lot of us start off in this journey, And I would get into an argument with one of the girls, so I'd have to get louder, stand up higher, and literally make them believe that if they come anywhere near me, I would give them a piece of my mind. You know what I wanted to say, right? And um, I thought that that was a sign of courage. I thought that was me protecting myself. I also thought that was me putting everybody in check so that they knew who to respect around here. All these things, right? But what happened was, is I was hanging out for a couple of months. That started to slow down a little bit. I think it's because they pegged me as a leader and they asked me to be a house manager there. So I might have had to change a little bit. I started seeing other girls do the same thing that I did. And I remember feeling so embarrassed by their behavior. Like, oh man, that's so embarrassing. Don't act like that. You look really stupid. And it would occur to me later on after I had processed that, oh man, I was just acting like that 30, 60 days ago. I can't believe that I would do that, act like that. How embarrassing. So God would continue to put people in my life to reveal more and more truth about myself. You know, and eventually, it took a long time for me to identify my defects of character. Those little pieces of paper that were in that box eventually became very clear that I indeed had a struggle with all of them. You know, and I, found, I fell in love with the literature of uh, the big book and the 12 and 12 early into my journey, which is, Really god doing for me what I couldn't do for myself because when I first opened that book I didn't make any sense of it and I will have you know, I had never read a book in my life Until I came to alcoholics anonymous and the big book was the first book So i'm not a reader. I still don't read if I want to hear a book. I Buy it on audio or audible and I listen to it and um But I started to fall in love with it because what was happening was I was going to meetings, working with a sponsor, doing a book study, going to meetings, working with a sponsor, going to a book study, doing my own personal homework for my step work. And what happened was is the book started to come alive to me. And because it was coming alive, it made me feel smarter. I would open the book and I'd read something and another light would turn on and I'd be like, whoa, I understand that. I'm comprehending things I'm reading. That's never happened to me before. Not only am I comprehending things that I'm reading, I'm comprehending things that I'm reading that pertain to who I am as a person, who I want to become. And so I became in love with the literature in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I had passed by one day. You know, I don't know if you guys ever relate to this, but have you ever read something in the book and it just hits you so hard? You're like, man, that was right what I needed to hear. But then you, it vanishes soon as you're done. And then you're like, yeah, I was reading something in the book the other day, and it was about, um, um, uh, I couldn't remember anything that I, I was falling in love with, you know. But then I would be sharing in meetings, and these things would flow out of my mouth. And I would think to myself, damn, I'm pretty smart. I just can't, I just came right up out of my heart. I can't believe it. I started to feel like I belonged somewhere. I started to feel like I could contribute. And then I would hear, I would read the same thing again one day and I'd be like, wait a minute. That's what I said at the meeting the other day that I thought I came up with. <laughs> oh my God, I didn't even come up with that. That wasn't me. Or I'd hear another speaker come up, right? The speaker would be really good. Everybody would be totally into him. And I'd hear him say my stuff. I'm like, he's taking my stuff. How'd he get my stuff? He heard me speaking at a meeting or something. He wrote it down. And it's the same stuff. It's in the book. So, anyways, um, you know, getting to my point. I learned through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 and 12, and from coming to meetings, that uh, God created humans. And He created them in a very specific way so that they could uh, know what they're doing here while they're on earth, that they could be protected that they could be a part of, that they can continue to procreate, that they can continue to want to grow and develop closer to him. There is a lot of things that God had given us at creation which were intended for good. I learned that in the big book in the 12 and 12 of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's in there. It's in there. It's crazy. You got to read it a whole bunch of times, but it'll get there. And, um, so you've got intention, you've got free will and you've got alcoholism and what can happen with free will and God's beautiful gift. I don't know about you, but anything I've ever touched in life, if it makes me feel good, it brings me attention in any way, shape, or form. If it brings me mental, emotional, and physical feel good, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to overutilize it. I'm going to abuse it. I'm going to take it to another level, way beyond God's intention for me. I'm going to turn something real good into something real bad, and that's what we're talking about here with character defects. They call them character defects. They call them shortcomings. They call them derelict. derelict. You know what I'm saying? There. Thank you. They call them bedevilments. They call them wrongs. They call them a whole lot of different things in our literature. But they're all talking about the same thing. Nationally known, they call them the seven deadly sins. I know that might ruffle some feathers here today. Maybe, maybe not. But our book identifies them clearly. So God gave me this wonderful, beautiful thing instinct, we'll call it. I take it, I use it, I abuse it. I turn it into no longer an asset or more likely as a liability. That was what God intended. I took it here. I need to figure out how to bring it back down to God's intentions. Let's take a look at what I'm talking about. You got the seven deadly sins, right? Just in case anybody doesn't know them. Pride, anger, gluttony, greed, lust, envy, and sloth. God gave me a desire right here in my own spirit to be one with another human being. I see man on campus right by the coffee pot at the 101 Club. He's good looking. He's got an ankle monitor, a tattoo, and fake teeth. He's right up my alley. Back then, it would have had to have been gold teeth. I'll set her for some, you know. So, here's something. God gave me this, right? I'm attracted to the individual. We fall in love. We get married. We procreate and have some babies. Keep this earth populated. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. But that feels good. It feels so good that, well, I'll have you Monday night. I'll have you Thursday night. I'll have you Friday night. Don't tell nobody. I'll have her. I'll have her, him. That one's married. Even better. (laughs) Young, old, doesn't matter. So I take this wonderful, beautiful gift that God gave me, this instinctual gift And I'm going to use it, abuse it, until it is no longer an asset. It is now a liability, and it is causing many issues in relationships with all of God's children. It's also blocking me off from the sunlight of the Spirit, because now I am no longer doing God's will. I'm full-blown into my will. I'm so preoccupied with him's and hers and they's and it's, That I cannot see or receive the message straight directly from the sunlight of the spirit. And there's so many consequences that come as a result of living that lifestyle. But I got to blame God or him or her or they or it and cannot take a look at myself. That one's pretty obvious, right? Quit being a hoe is what they told me. You're causing issues. We got lots of problems when you're doing those things. But what about the not-so-obvious things? You know, like, I want to be liked by other people. If you say that you don't want to be liked by the human race, well, I think you're lying in one way, shape, or form, because God gave you a natural desire to be a part of a community, to be loved by his children, and to love his children. It is a God-given instinct. We were given it at creation. But the problem with me and maybe some of you who are listening is that it feels good to be liked. You know, I didn't care if people liked me or not before I got sober. I really don't think I did. Because I had no natural instincts left I was poisoned so heavy by the substance that I didn't have time to think about who liked me and who did not. Not to mention, not many people did. But when I got sober and I started to realize that I was actually a pretty cool person and I had a pretty awesome personality, people began to like me. They looked to me as a leader Which for me at the time was really bizarre. And I developed friendships all over the recovery community. Now I care what people think about me. I'm clear minded. I can see what's going on in this world. It feels good to be liked. I'm doing well. Well, guess what, my friend? If you're doing the right thing in Alcoholics Anonymous, you will eventually hit the front page of Sun Sentinel AA. It's going to happen. So guess what? You did something. You set the ball rolling, and people are going to talk about it. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe Bobby started dating a newcomer? Oh, my God. She's a predator. Guess what? I got my very first resentment because of that word. I married a newcomer. He's right there. He was six months sober, and I had seven years. And he was on community control. He has all his teeth. Yeah. So what do I do with this? God gave me the instinct to want to be liked. I want to be liked, but at this point point in stage of my life, I want to be liked the way that I want to be liked. And if you don't like me the way that I want you to like me, well, guess what? We're going to build allies throughout the community. I'm going to get them on the bandwagon for protection purposes. That may require me to talk bad about you, gossip about you, make sure that everybody knows that I'm better than you. I'm also going to pre-plan conversations in my head that if it ever comes up that I sound smarter than you, wiser than you, and people are looking to me as their leader and you as a peasant. I'm willing to step over dead bodies to make sure that my reputation stays where it needs to be. You know, God gave me this wonderful, beautiful thing called an asset, an instinct to be a part of. It's a good, beautiful thing. I like the way it feels, so I abuse it. I use it. I turn that asset into now a liability. Defect of character, wrong, derelictment. I'm going to say that wrong every time. This tonight, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just want to say lick, lick. <laughs> nationally known as a sin. You know, we talked about the first one, nationally known as a sin. We're talking about lust. This one, nationally known as a sin. We got a lot of stuff going on there. Pride, anger, greed, envy. God also gave me a lot of wonderful, really cool things to want to excel in life. When I first got sober, I um, got a job, as we do. During that job, I had this this inner core feeling that I was going to eventually get a better job. And indeed, I did. And... During that time, I was working as an office manager at an air conditioning company. I was there for almost three years. I always had the feeling inside that I would get a better job again. Indeed, I did. And I started doing some really wonderful things in Broward County, serving God on all kinds of really awesome levels with my experience of my life. And um, as a result of that, I had a desire to get an education, and I did. And now I have an education, so now I want to get more of an education and take it to the next level. And so I did. Eventually, I needed to take that job up higher into a promotional position, and so I did. These things happen in life, right? You stay sober, you're going to always have it, right? I had a 1999 Honda CRV, perfect condition, I loved it. Married a guy who had a little bit more um, higher standards for what he wanted his wife to drive. So I went and got a 19, or 2015 Buick Enclave. Crazy. But I did it. I said, I'll never have a car payment ever in my life. Got a car payment. Eventually got a 2021 Chevy Silverado pickup truck. Right? Just continue to do these things. It's called ambition. We have a desire to do more, to be more, to have more. This is all really good stuff. You want to get in a relationship, you want to get married, then you want to have a baby, then you want to buy a house, you want to get a better house, you want to get a career. These are normal things. We're progressing through life. God gave us this wonderful, beautiful thing called an asset, an instinct to do more, to be more, so that we could be of service to him. And what ends up happening, I use it and I abuse it and I use it for the wrong things. It turns more into an evil instead of a good Now I I want this thing so much that I'm willing to sacrifice AA. I'm willing to sacrifice my relationship with God because this is more important. You know, I see so many people who come into Alcoholics Anonymous and they get a little bit of a taste of a paycheck. Phone rooms, no offense to anybody. They're making a grand a week, first coming in. Boom, got themselves a brand new pair of Jordans, a nice brand new car, girlfriend. They still got a driver's license or insurance, but they're driving. Next thing you know, that job is the most important thing, and they boast about it all the time. Oh, I can't do that. I worked 12 hours last night. I'm working this weekend. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Where's time for you? Where's time for your recovery? Where's time for God? You just got into this wonderful relationship. It's good and everything, but you're off at the keys every weekend with her. You haven't been to your home group in a month because X, Y, and Z is more important than this. I was taught very early on, don't let what AA gave you take you back out reminds me of ambition i want to do more and be more because it feels good but i miss the intention that god gave it to me for everything i do is in god's name and in his glory if i get a better paying job what am i going to do with the money i make if i get a nicer car who am i going to be driving to meetings I mean, this might sound a little silly to you, but I'm giving you a general idea of where I'm going with this. God gave me this wonderful, beautiful thing. I love it so much that I'm going to overutilize utilize it, abuse it, turn this asset into a liability nationally known as one of the, the 12 deadly, or seven deadly sins. Greed. Greedy. There's a promotion coming up. I am the one who definitely should get that. I start to get this little insecurity that it's not going to be me, I start building my allies. I start talking gossip. I start building up my pride and my ego, sometimes very externally and noticeable, and sometimes behind the scenes and very vindictively. This is never God's intent. You know, I tell people all the time, like, let it go. Be you, suit up, show up, give it who you are, and leave the results up to God. Because all the other stuff that you're doing is manipulation. It's crazy how we can get so far removed from God's intentions. You know what? There's this really interesting thing about defects of character. I feel like I've said this before at one of the meetings that we were at here at this home group, but... I'm going to say it again just in case it wasn't you and it was another group I'm doing. But defects of character often, just like I had shared with you, are unknown to yourself. They come off like layers of an onion. They're very sometimes hard, you know, like deeply packed into the middle core of that onion. And it could take years to unveil it. But here's a really cool thing. Humbly asked him to remove it all we have to do is show an act of surrender i know they exist i'm not 100 percent sure what they are but i am asking you the only one that truly can remove them from me just a simple ask is all that is required These things, these dark hidden things about myself that I don't even recognize are a problem to my sobriety, a problem to my relationships with human race, a problem with my relationship with God. How can they be changed if they're hidden so deeply in? It's another one of those things that I got to let go. You are in control. I was doing a reading the other day and it said that um, God lives in every room in our home, every single room in our home. The thing is, is that, like, you have to lose the idea that it is your home. He dwells in your closet, in your your sanctuary where you do your morning readings, in your bedroom where you sleep and rest and feel safe, in your kitchen where you cook food to feed the body. He is there. But if I continue to think that this is my home and he is my guest, I got things twisted i got to go find the deed, pull it out of the filing cabinet, take a look at it, sign it over to him. Hand him the deed and say, everything here is yours. Entirely. I don't want control over it anymore. I don't want to be the owner and the manager of it anymore. I want you to have it all. And I want to be your servant. Please take it from me. Take the Chevy pickup truck. Take the Buick Enclave. Take the kids, because I know they were never mine to begin with. Take everything, and let me be of service to you. That's how simple this step is. Guess what happens? Humbly asking him to remove it from us. Those things that were so hidden dark, he's going to reveal them to you? Piecemeal. You're not going to get them dumped on you. They're going to come out. They're going to be at such a perfect time in your life, although you will never know it at the moment. And he knows exactly how to help change that behavior. Only him. And he's going to do it differently for each and every one of us because we're different. So here's the thing about God and my relationship. If I'm judgmental about something, I usually don't talk about it to people. It's in here. For example, I may be sponsoring a girl where the husband or the boyfriend cheats on them. And now I'm in my head going, Oh hell no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No mm mm no. Any happening in my home. Hell no. Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, she's gonna stay with them? mm mm-hmm. Good for you. And in my head, I'm like, weak, coward, needy, never going to be able to succeed without a human being in their life. Right? These are thoughts that are going on in my head. Now, these are extreme, and I've gone way past them. Guess what happens? The person that I love, that I plan on spending the rest of my life with, also cheats on me. I get to experience exactly what that woman went through. I've had some... That's just a story. It's not even reality, but that's a really clear identification of how you could be judgmental and it happened to you. I've had that happen to me so many times that when that judgment arises up out of the evil part of me into my brain, I swear to you, I say, "Uh uh-uh, no, not today. Say, uh uh-uh, God... Oh, forgive me for those feelings. I do not feel that way about that person. I don't even know who said that. But it isn't me, and I don't want it. I want you to take it from me, because I know how Bobby learns not to be judgmental. Okay, so here's another really cool thing that God can do. You know when you buy a vehicle, I'll go with my Bug enclave, true story. I got this beautiful 2015 Buick Enclave a few years back. It was like a pearl white, three row, perfect for a mom of three young children and somebody who likes to go in large crowds to the meetings. Perfect vehicle for me. I'd never seen anybody who drove a Buick Enclave before. My husband looked up the research on it, and he said that it's the safest vehicle in America. I was shocked. How did I not know about this? I know everything there is to know about everything. So I love this vehicle. I'm like, I'm going to get this thing, take it home. So I took it home. I was in love with it. Never seen one before. Next day, I'm driving my kids to school, and literally around the block, only if I counted five houses away, there parked a Buick Enclave 2015. I was like, where did that come from? I didn't know you existed there. Huh, that's so weird. The preceding days, weeks, and months went by, and I saw a damn Buick Enclave Every fricking day, every red light, every grocery store in my neighborhood, at my children's school, it was everywhere, but I didn't see it until I became aware it existed. And that's what happens to us when it comes to defects of characters, shortcomings, liabilities, wrongs, nationally known as our seven deadly sins. God's going to give them to you. And there is a variety of them that you have no idea exists until he reveals it to you. I just found out recently that I suffered trauma. Can you imagine? Who finds that out almost 15 years in their sobriety? I was in denial and I wasn't ready to take a look at it until you're ready to take a look at it. That trauma that I experience has affected me in many relationships, specifically towards women who I identify as being codependent or weak in one way, shape, or form. But see, the unfortunate thing is I could think of two right off the top of my head of those women who happen to be the most important people in my life. So, it's going to have a reoccurring challenge with the relationship because of my trauma that I had stuffed so very far behind me. So, I pulled it out and took a look at it recently. And my very best friend in the world told me, Best friend, I think you experienced a trauma. And if you don't get it resolved, you're going to always have issues with people you love. I was mind blown. And as a result of that, guess what? It's been at every corner, every grocery store, every red light. I look. The trauma affects my relationship with my husband. It affects my relationship with my children and with a couple of my very close friends. God is going to prepare you for each thing that he reveals to you. The only way you can consciously embrace his love and direction is if you are sober and doing a few simple things Alcoholics Anonymous has outlined for the progress of your life. With that being said, thank you guys for letting me share.
1: Let's thank our speaker one more time. And now we have the secretary's report with Mark.
4: Hey guys, my name is Mark, I'm a recovered alcoholic secretary. Keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are going to go around. Uh, I don't see any QR codes. Uh, there's some, if anyone wants to make a contribution by their phone, we have QR codes. You can grab one up there after the meeting if you want. Uh, while the basket is going around, I've asked Bill to come up here and read the recovered statement. We read this notice at this group to explain why many people in the group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Here's Bill.
5: Still, recovered alcoholic. We are not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would not be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of alcoholic. Centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered.
4: Thanks, Bill. So, 1940 style big book sponsorship from the 4th of the Second Edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to A and really tried, 50% of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% of them sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back through His loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room, please? More importantly, does anyone in the room need a sponsor? No. Okay. If you do and you're too shy to present yourself to the group, get with somebody after the group with their hands raised and they'll get you back to God. Uh, no announcements tonight. We don't have the projector, so you guys are going to have to figure out your AA events on your own this week. Um, there, there's a couple of flyers up here. You you're Feel free to grab those, but um, no, we're not in an announcement land tonight. So. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, one announcement I have is that Monday nights we have a big book study right here on this, this little podium up here um, where the big book comes alive. It's Joe and Charlie style. We have Violet. Andrew and Ryan leading it. It's Monday night. Fellowship starts at six thirty. Big book study starts at seven fifteen. Also, a long time or alongside our petty little announcement table, we have some literature CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet here every Thursday, starting promptly at seven fifteen. Bobby will be back in next week. We ask that you. Begin the, or be courteous and be ready, ready to begin at the sound of the bells. We'll see you all next week. Thanks.
1: As I mentioned earlier, we do podcast all these series. They're at alcoholicsandgod.org, along with Bobby, everyone else we've had previous to that. They're quite interesting. I too would like to invite you to the uh, Big Book Study on Monday night. We do have lively discussions. I learn something every week. And we have cookies any of those that want to wish to thank bobby for speaking tonight please line up down the center aisle here um, we'll close with the lord's prayer whose father our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See you Monday or
6: Thursday. God speak. Yeah, God yeah, yeah. heart is heavy. Soul is thirsty, body's aching. in need of restoration yeah.
5: Yes, yeah, I'm
8: Now I'm growing vines. They twist and turn each way. Flowers blooming all the time outside my door. But never before
9: I had to change everything.
8: God bless. I love you, Mike Chase.